This broadcast contains subject matter that may offend liberal snowflakes. It's The War Room with Owen Schroyer. Watch the live stream at band.video. Seraphin in studio with us for this hour. Very excited. We're going to get into the January 6th pipe bomber, the Democrats deleting evidence, Kamala Harris's whereabouts, the new videos, and, and the weird response. But uh, I wanted to get Kyle to comment on something first because you're, you're in fact, you just broke news to me right when you sat down. I want you to break it to the audience in a second. Uh, but you were one of the original whistleblowers talking about how the FBI was targeting Catholics, in, in particular, here's what Speaker Mike Johnson had to say about that, and then we're going to get Kyle's response. Here it is in clip eight. You were on the Judiciary and the Weaponization Committee. You know, during that time in the Weaponization Committee, we saw the FBI uh, bring case against uh, the Catholic Church, even putting agents inside of local churches. What more can Congress do to prevent this? Well, Congress has a very important responsibility of, of oversight, and we have to bring accountability for agencies that have been spun out of control. Really, we use the term weaponized because that's exactly what it is. We have uh, agencies that were designed to protect and serve the American people in so many cases in recent years, and by the administration, have been turned against them, and that's just what the facts show. It's alarming. So we've called it out, we've drawn attention to it, and we're demanding accountability for those who are in charge. Okay, so... Kyle, you were part of the original team of FBI whistleblowers that brought this to the attention of the American people. Many testified in front of Congress. Now, Speaker Johnson says we're taking action, accountability. Do you think that's really going on, or do you think there needs to be more? Well, there definitely needs to be more. It's not happening yet. Um, but we are building momentum. You and I were talking just before we get on here. You know, the momentum is building. It has to be, because <laughs> they just keep getting hit in the mouth over and over again. The Bureau... And the brand of the Bureau is just taking overwhelming incoming. And, and what do you do with that other than at some point people are going to have to go, you know what? I, I mean, I, I have agents reach out to me and they say things like the work that I do is good. And I'm not mad at them for that. And they're doing things like working on transnational organized crime and whatever else. But this agency is irredeemable. And that's a really, really tough thing to hear for someone who's on the back end of the last 10 years of their career. And they're looking at what they've been doing for the last decade and change and then just go like, I, how can I be associated with this? I mean, they're going to have to tell their kids that at some point. And some people are going to, at the probably at the front end of their career, are going to realize this is not what I signed up for. Well, and we've had whistleblowers like yourself and others go in front of Congress. I, I suspect there's going to be, I don't know if more whistleblowers coming forward or it's going to be people leaving the Bureau, but you were actually just telling me that uh, there, was a, there was kind of a troll that just happened at, at the Capitol. Yeah, that's right. So I work with a group that's called Catholic Vote, uh, which is an advocacy group, and they've got a 501c3 and a C4 and some other things. And um, they picked up right away on the problem of the FBI investigating Catholics. That's what they do. And they're lay people. They're not associated with the church. They're just regular people that go to Latin, uh, you know, masses. And so they said, okay, well, if the FBI's got a problem with Latin mass, and they think they're going to call that, you know, uh, analogous to white supremacy, why don't we get a Latin mass said in the Capitol for the first time in history? And so they did that yesterday on the one-year anniversary of that memo being sent out into the field in Richmond. So, you know, there is pushback happening, and people are getting more bold. I think that the, the, the big difference is, historically, people were scared of the FBI, right? 
They either had sort of a respect or they were scared and they were looking around and they're going like, this is an agency or institution that's either fearful or they actually just think um, it's got some vestigial history that we think is good. I think we're moving to the point where people are going, you guys are acting like clowns. We're going to treat you like clowns. We're going to troll you like anybody else. You're not off limits. So gloves are off for some of these people. And, and I'm proud that they got that done. The, the masks look lovely, by the way. So that's cool. But also the fact that it, what it says is like, we're not going to be kowtowing to you. We're going to actually do the thing that you said we shouldn't do. Well, and I think maybe there's kind of been a, been a, been a turn in the spirit of being afraid, let's say, of the FBI to being afraid that if we don't push back against the corruption, not just from the FBI, but but the entire Biden administration or federal government at large, that that's going to be much worse than if we sit back and say, oh, we're afraid. Kyle Serafin in studio. You're not going to want to miss this next segment, folks. Share the links. This is going to be huge. My friends, Alex Jones here to tell you about some of the most important information concerning you and your family's health. Radiation levels have more than doubled in the last 60 years in the Northern Hemisphere from all of the nuclear testing and radiological accidents. Radioactive contamination is now in most of the food supply. There's only two ways to avoid this. Move south of the equator or properly protect your thyroid with nascent iodine. Looking to protect my family, I've done deep research. Nascent iodine is the purest, cleanest, absolute best form of iodine to protect yourself and your family. It's made right here in the USA, completely non-GMO. I searched out the best quality and now have developed a double-strength form of nascent iodine, exclusively available at InfoWarsLife.com. Nascent iodine is on record as one of the only safe ways to detox from fluoride poisoning. Survival Shield Nascent Iodine. Secure your super high-quality nascent iodine today at InfoWarsLife.com. That's InfoWarsLife.com. Crushed in the housing market. We are getting crushed in the automobile market. We are getting crushed in our grocery bills. They're sitting here attacking you, attacking your economy, attacking your culture, attacking your borders. And then they say you're inhumane. Seraphin in studio, former FBI agent turned whistleblower and now doing his own podcast and working with a lot of great whistleblowers as well out of the FBI to try to expose some of the corruption going on internally. But but I wanted to have him in studio today and get some of his uh, expertise from his time at the FBI in response to what we've seen with the latest January 6th developments. And I've got quite a few here. We've got the situation with the, the new pipe bomb footage. We've got the situation with now Ray Epps' testimony that has just gone public, as well as this whole Kamala Harris mystery about where she was really at on January 6th. But she, but, was, in, she was in a meeting. Well, she says she was in a meeting, <laughs> which, of course, makes sense. She's supposed to be voting for the certification of the votes, but she's in a meeting. She's at the DNC. Oh, no, she's at the Capitol. They keep changing their stories. But, but before we get into the, the Kamala Harris angle, because that'll— spin nicely off the the pipe bomb situation and in fact guys i forgot to send you that footage let's go ahead and pull up that footage that that just got released from the pipe bomb okay so we have new footage thanks to thomas massey's office 
that got released, uh, Revolver News, Darren Beatty released it. I'm sure you've gone through it yourself. And so I just want to kind of get your just base level response to the footage where uh, you have an individual who goes over to, this is Kamala Harris's detail, a Metro Police vehicle yep. with three police inside, and then a Secret Service vehicle. I think there were two Secret Service agents inside is what it appeared. Mm-hmm. Um, this is Kamala Harris's detail at the DNC where they originally lied and, and didn't tell anybody that she was there. And this guy, who apparently is a Capitol Police officer who's not in uniform, identifies the pipe bomb, goes and alerts Harris's detail. And this is probably the craziest part of it. And then I want you to go into your response to this. He goes and he tells the law enforcement Secret Service detail that there's a pipe bomb over there. And then he walks right back in front of it. I mean, what? You think there's a bomb? And then you're going to walk right back in front of it? So, Kyle, watching this as we play it on the screen, what is your response to this as a former FBI agent that, that obviously knows what crime scenes look like, what responses look like? What, what is your response here? The attitude, the lackadaisical sort of response to this is wild. It's truly wild, and it can lead you uh, one of basically two possibilities, right? Possibility one, massive incompetence. You have no idea what to do. You're shell-shocked. I just saw this thing that looks like a bomb. What happens next? That's one possibility. The other possibility is I was already told it's not a real bomb. I'm going to behave very uh, casually. So you're either incompetent or you're sort of informed and, and you're working, doing something that makes no sense unless you knew more information. And I think it's fair to say that those are the only two conclusions you can reach at this point. And I would say you might get I'll, that. I'll never I'll never rule out incompetence. I worked for the well, federal government. Say. And and I don't want to and that would be, and people get shell shocked by all kinds of things. We would call it vapor lock when you're doing training. Something would happen that is outside the boundaries of what you're prepared to respond to. And that's a possibility. And then you go, what the hell do I do? But I would lean into that a bit and I would say, I don't think that's Secret Service though. Maybe police More importantly, they had already found another bomb. They had already set up a safe zone. They had already done a crime scene and a cordon of of minimum safe distances to be able to deal with the one that was at the RNC. So this is not like it's an unexpected possibility. It's pipe bomb number two of the day in a day that had exactly two pipe bombs and a city that had exactly two pipe bombs for like the last year that I'm aware of. So it's not like it's a common thing. And then suddenly this is top of mind awareness to you. So, okay. So it takes them five minutes to even set up a perimeter. They were finishing their sandwiches. Is that an official? Is that an official statement? So my my buddy, who's now working with the Blaze, he had been an independent journalist at the time. Uh, this is Steve Baker. He went through hundreds of hours of footage to get this, and I knew this the night before January six. I actually flew up to give a speech uh, up in Long Island, and so he had told me we're sitting face to face, and he goes, "Look, this is not public yet, but I've spent all this time. Not only did he uncover that it was the plainclothes police officer that was part of the U.S. Capitol Police, but he also said, "I've seen the footage, and they're working on sandwiches." And they finished the sandwiches. Now, just imagine. So you're, that's not a joke. No, I'm not saying that like as a as a like a sly remark. I'm saying the guy supposedly finished sandwiches after being told, "Hey, man, there's an explosive device within 15 feet of you." Now, was the Capitol Police officer off duty? That I don't know. I don't so know that, that I think that's one of the questions that remains. Either way, it was a Capitol Police officer, plain clothes, alerts them. They say, "I've got to finish my sandwich." I don't know if he said he had to finish. They just did finish oh, okay. the sandwiches. The sandwiches yeah. apparently were the were the priority. And that doesn't also scream that I'm vapor locked, that I'm what I would call overcome by circumstances. That says like I'm casual, taking it easy. And the real scary stuff in that footage is there's a family with a couple of kids that walk right into yep. that danger zone. Yep. And so if you have that belief, and I don't care if you're off duty or on duty, yep. if you carry a badge, 
you have an instinct to protect. It That's why you. you signed it. Yeah, of course. You're not going to let little kids walk by a possible pipe bomb. Well, even he walks right in front of it again. Now, here, tell me if I'm crazy because I don't hear anybody else saying this. They, they do mention this. When the, when the camera moves over, this is after five minutes of, of nothing. When the camera moves over, there appears to be a fresh coffee cup sitting on the bench. Now, it, I, this might be me getting a little crazy. Could that have been like a sign? Like somebody put that there and like tipped over like, okay, that's the sign. Like now we go into action. I'm just, I don't know. Because how do you it's sit on the bench and possible. not see it? We, we, we're, We'd have to totally speculate on that. The other possibility is, is who's sitting there. Right. How did you get a sweep of a Secret Service detail coming in with dogs and everything else? How, how did you miss this pretty obvious thing you can almost see on the camera? Yeah, I mean, it's not like it's buried. Mm -mm. It's sitting at, atop part of it on. Yeah, so when he walks back over, he's taking that iconic picture with his cell phone yeah. that we've all seen on social media and that's gone out. And, you know, that's been the picture that people associate with the pipe bomb. That's where it came from. That was him walking back in front of supposedly a live explosive device. Which didn't seem too concerned. Generally not advised. Yeah. yeah, didn't seem too concerned. It's not like he was part of the bomb squad. It's not suited up. Yeah, we didn't see any any protective gear. Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> now, because we're trying to put all the pieces here, and, and I don't have as much investigative experience as you, but okay, I'm just looking at this from, from a layperson that has common sense. If you're taking five minutes to respond to this, like you said, you're either criminally negligent or you have some form of information to know there's no reason to panic at this point. Well, if that's the case, let's say now let's lean into the latter. If they already knew that that was not a real bomb and it was part of something else, they, because look, folks, they make mistakes too. They're, I mean, this is a tough, believe me, let's say this was a total Fed surrection. That's a tough thing to pull off. I mean, yeah. this is not an easy operation for them to have all these moving parts and pull it off. I think, that, you know, they can make mistakes too. So they might have moved too soon. The, the, the identifier of the pipe bomb might have moved you know, 30 minutes too soon or whatever, because he wasn't supposed to notify them till 1.40, which was supposed to be the 20-minute mark till the certification, which was supposed to be when the timer said when the bomb was supposed to go off. So that's why they might have been sitting in their cars, you know, finishing their hoagies, is because they were like, hey, we're not supposed to move yet, right? We're not supposed to move yet. And then they're like, well, now he's just called it in. Now we have to move. It's always, like, this is the, 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 the problem. When we don't have a federal government that's being transparent and honest with us, we're completely left to speculation. The other problem is, is that we have an awful lot of coincidences that don't seem to line up. Like, how come we can't find the cell phone date on this, right? The cell phone data was supposedly, they did a geofence. They were able to find every single person that went into the building. It can find people with an earlobe. Right. Yes, of course. They can identify yeah. people with the, the earlobe recognition, even though he's wearing a mask or whatever, and all this kind of stuff. And then we can't find the one person in the least crowded time at night, right, doing the single most terroristic act on supposedly the darkest day in our nation's history. On multiple cameras. Correct. How do we not, how can we not track that person? And then we hear from, from Steve D'Antuano, who is the former assistant director in charge of the Washington field office, who was my boss's boss's boss or something to that effect. He was a couple of levels above me. He was the guy in charge of the field office. Was that, that the same guy that was in the Whitmer case? Oh, weird. Isn't that weird? Yeah, yeah. He yeah, originally had the guy. fake Whitmer kidnapping plot, and then he gets moved to this. Right. So he was in Detroit. He was the special agent in charge there. We had a last-minute, uh, uh, you know, low-notice retirement of the of the ADIC in front of him, uh, uh, assistant director in charge at Washington Field. So D'Antuano gets that job. Now he's in. Now he's in charge of what ends up being January 6th. And 
The, the strangest I guess thing if you're is, the master of entrapment, you know, you, you bring him in for this operation. Well, I think it's worth being fair to people because we can be as conspiratorial, and I, I don't think he's a good agent. I don't think he did a good job, and I have some personal beef with him for some stuff he did to some friends of mine. So, like, I'm not real partial to that. But in fairness, the person that at the top of the food chain for all the FBI uh, offices, they generally don't know what's going on with all of the cases at all the times. They're not running those cases daily. Well, sure, there's like 20,000 agents or more, and I'm sure even more cases. So there's... Yeah, there's a couple thousand cases being worked out of that field office. But let's be also really clear. Isn't it interesting that when you have Chris Ray out there, I don't know, I can't recall, I don't remember, I don't have that information. Maybe we can get back to you, Congressman. All that is always pretty common. It feels like they do that on purpose, where they're compartmentalized to the point where these people don't actually know anything, or they're at least they're saying that, and nobody could prove otherwise because they're well, not cracking FBI well, look, files. And, and they do know, and and I happen to have <laughs> some, I happen to have some intimate information because of because of my litigation dealing with this. And some of the attorneys I've spoken with, which, I mean, it would have been off the record, but Clay Higgins and some other members of Congress basically made it public so I can talk about it now. They argued, the federal government argued in some of these cases that there were so many confidential informants in the ground that to to make a request to, to give them a number would be impossible. That was their response. They said, defense teams would say, hey, well, how many confidential informants did you have? And they would say, well, we don't have the answer. The judge would say, okay, we'll get the answer. They'd come back in court and they'd say, well, the number is so high, we can't give it to you. And so now Clay Higgins and others have come out and they've said they believe it was at least 300 uh, agents, either confidential informants or, or directly in the federal agencies were on the ground that day. Let's take the conspiracy out of it for people because there's really, really obvious reasons why that would be. It doesn't make it good. It just makes it so we can make it more tangible, right? Every single field office has a counterterrorism mission, all right? There is a, either a, a, a GS-15 or there's an SES that's in charge of counterterrorism. That's what they do. And all of them are running cases. There's 56 field offices for the FBI. So they're all running cases in their area. And that could be in Iowa, and there's going to be some in New York. There's going to be some in Miami, et cetera, et cetera. Everywhere you go, the FBI is working counterterrorism cases. They all have a quota, which should probably not surprise people at this point, but that's true. And then based on the number of cases they open in certain types— and the way that they're worked and the techniques that they use, whether this be a Title III wiretap or using FISA or using physical surveillance or so on, they're incentivized with a bonus structure that pays out the top person in that field office to the tune of like thirty to $50,000 a year. So, so, there's a an incentive, so there's an incentive and a quota margin. Correct. That it's like the old argument. Well, if I have to give out 50 speeding tickets a month, but nobody's speeding, well, well then what, do I, what am I going to do? Yeah, you're going to find some speeders. That's what's going to happen. And so in this case... The FBI is incentivized because of the system that they use, and that's been going on for a little while now, this, this stats-based system. Uh, they call them statistical accomplishments. But because that's been going on for a while, every one of those 56 field offices is incentivized to have people infiltrated into various types of groups that are going to generate certain types of cases. In this case, they're 266 cases, which I'm sure there's one on you. There's definitely one on me. We all have this sort of thing going on. These are intelligence-based cases. They're not criminal, by the way. They're intelligence for counterterrorism because you are an anti-government, anti-authority, violent extremist, or you are a militia violent extremist, or you're a white supremacist, whatever. They have all these different labels on them. But what they do is they go and they, they create these cases. They get sources into them because they need sources for that accomplishment. And then when those sources travel to January 6th, we found out just after January 6th, we're following a guy. And we don't know what he did, but they were like, oh, he was involved in something. So we're following him. That's what we did. That was my team. My team was a surveillance team. So here we are outside of this thing. And what happens? He gets into his car. He starts driving home at like 10 o'clock at night from Loudoun County. And we followed him. We followed him all the way through Maryland, first all the way through Virginia, then through Maryland, then into West Virginia. We're like six hours deep into the surveillance, right? 
It's in the middle of the night. The guy's exhausted. I, we could tell. We actually had him pulled over because he was weaving between lanes, and I thought he was going to kill the kids in the backseat. So I, you know, life first. And so we get this done. We find out six hours away from base, eight hours away from base in the middle of the night, that uh, they had a tracker on the car the whole time. But the agent that was running the case, which was not in the area that we were in, didn't report that to the command post. It was an absolute, you know, disaster area of, of failure to deconflict cases. So the fact that they don't have a good number means that they would have to go through every single case, every single source, and find out if all those sources who reported maybe not being there because they got scared, they'd have to figure out all that thing. It's possible they can't even get that number. And I'm sure 300 is like, that's not crazy to me. Figure that's, that's three per office. That's nothing. That's well, and, but, and I think, too, it just shows you that there was an overwhelming, not just presence of federal agents or confidential informants there, but there was an overwhelming incentive to be there and be involved, whether that was nefarious uh, for nefarious reasons or for surveillance reasons or, or for any other reasons. But I think what we learned, too, and, and this is why this is why the, the fake plot to kidnap the governor, I think, is so important. And then there was the um, Nuremberg Four. I forget what it is. It was another FBI. The Newberg. The, yeah, the Newberg Four, where mm -hmm. they just released the final guy from that. Yep. And the judge excoriated the FBI for their entrapment. Um, the judge said the major conspirator in that case was the federal government. Well, but that's, that's so, see, that's the big development here where, okay, there's clearly an incentive with these cases for federal agents to provocateur these events. Why wouldn't we suspect that could have happened on January 6th? So there's not just a, uh, it's not just that there's a incentive. It's a, it's a well-established playbook. Okay. And interestingly enough, and this is an opportunity for people in your audience to reach across the aisle. I keep telling people this. One of the things I say on my podcast all the time, go meet your neighbors. You don't, they're not your enemy. It turns out the enemy is actually the game. It's not the people that are in it. And, and your neighbors are not your enemies. They can actually get behind this because there's a guy named Trevor Aronson and he wrote a book called The Terror Factory, which I'll recommend to you and recommend to the audience. It's over 10 years old. And the, the story was is post 9-11, there was a massive push to go after Muslims in this country, some of whom were justifiable, but they ran out of them. When you run out of justifiable cases, you do exactly what's been going on in the last couple of years on people that are in the, let's call it patriot movement that the government will brand as anti-authority or anti-government you know, anti types. When you have that motivation, you take exactly the same thing. And what you do is you find people that have low IQ or they have uh, low finances. They're down on their luck. They're in a bad spot. We're just describing Gretchen Whitmer really easily, but it's, it's the same thing for all these others. And then you offer them an opportunity from someone who is a friend. And that friend is either an FBI asset, what we call a confidential human source, or it's an FBI agent. And when that person asks you to do something, then you do it. Why? Because you don't want to let your friend down. And if that means you got to plant a bomb and get some money and that you guys have this great plan worked out and you found some financiers and we're going to get some money from ISIS or Al-Qaeda or whoever it is, it just turns out all that money comes from the federal government and all the fake bombs come from the federal government and all the capabilities of doing the plot come from the federal government. And so that's what this judge just said, is that like, None of this could have happened without the furtherance of the FBI. It's not seen as entrapment because as long as that agent or that CHS gives you an opportunity to say no, they're like, look, are you sure you really want to do this? And you go, yeah, man, I'm in. The minute that happens, they've basically said, well, now we're not entrapping them because we gave an opportunity to say no. But the person was saying no to their friend, an undercover or an asset. Which could be their only friend. It could be Most their only friend Most likely is their only friend. Yeah. Most likely is. And so how much work, though, goes into... 
identifying or or using some sort of a dragnet to find those people, or is it just it works out that those are the individuals that kind of gravitate towards them? These are targets of opportunity, right? So there is a net. Of course, there's a net, and the net is usually online. It's basically like go troll through the Reddit forums, go on 4chan or 8chan or whatever it is that people are on saying things that are dumb. And basically, and, and I've said this multiple times, it's my favorite kind of thing, but it's like anytime that you find somebody who agrees with all your worst ideas, especially your violent ones, and they're willing to help you carry them out for the exact amount of money that you have because they already looked into your bank account and they know what you can afford, you know, yeah. that, that's a Fed. That's what that is. That's a Fed. That's either a, an informant or it is an agent that is working. And they're going to always introduce you to somebody that's going to be able to help you out. There's always a bomb expert or a weapons guy or somebody else. That's the undercover. The undercover comes in and does this thing. And it's like... If you have no other, if you have no other outreach to society because you are living in a basement and you don't have a pot to piss in, literally, like the guys did in the in the Whitmer case, that's what we're talking about. We're talking or about you people. already have some sort of a you know a mental issue or you're trying to be on that. drugs. Autistic kids. We've seen sixteen year olds that have been literally baited for two years until they're they're the age of majority where they can go. Oh, now you're eighteen. Now we're going to talk you into flying into Jordan to go fight for ISIS or something crazy. And that's what we they get. did that too. They did. That was a recent story that yeah, just these went aren't out. made up. These are these yeah. are real world examples. Yep. Uh, and they happen over and over again. And unfortunately, the terror factory, it's just been applied. So I think my disagreement with Trevor Aronson, I've told him this to, you know, on, on the phone. My disagreement is that he thinks it's because of racial animus, that it's about black and brown people. But it's not. It's just about people that generate statistical accomplishments. Well, like you said, once once they ran out of Muslims to target, well, what are you gonna do? It reminds me, and this was kind of, you know, people said that this was political commentary at the end of Dark Knight, if you recall, when he's got the big sonar system, and then after he finishes using it to catch the Joker, he destroys it, right? And the whole the whole message was, okay, whatever, use the system to find the bad guys, but then you get rid of the system. You don't you don't keep using it to find innocent people after that. Right. Um, but but okay. With three minutes left till the break here. So what what conclusions, if any, or, or what assumptions, if any, would you would you leap to after seeing the pipe bomb footage, the response with the with the background we already have, your background in investigating, where where do you go as far as what you think happened? I'm not sure that I've even gotten that deep into it. I, I kind of am focused on what you know, what do we know and what specifics can we keep piecing together? We never have proof positive. That's the thing. We have evidence of certain things, and there's some evidence that would suggest that this is like a plan me, right? that uh, either people go into the Capitol because they're being incited to or because they're interested in their own volition or they made that plan somewhere else. Some good actors, some people that like, some people did some dumb things that day. We have to agree on that. Um, some people probably go to jail for punching cops. That's okay too. I don't feel comfortable saying that the guys that got into fights with cops that picked that fight are totally without blame. However, what's going on in the background where we have a Capitol police officer who's seen a bomb allegedly, then acts really you know gentle about it and is not freaking out and then nobody seems to act like it's a real bomb. We've already found another bomb somewhere else. They did the right thing. They set up that, that perimeter. So we can only be led to believe that this was part of somebody's plan. God knows what the plan was, right? Uh, Kamala Harris was in there. Why is Kamala Harris not crowing to the, to the hilltops that I was almost a victim and everybody is racist? Why did that Capitol Police officer not get an award for his bravery and his heroism for taking a picture of that bomb and finding it and spotting it and his eagle eyes saved the life of the future vice president? Why did none of that stuff happen? So we have more questions than we have answers, but they lead us down a particular road and they're shutting off some of the other roads. And it leads down to like, is this a plan B? Um, this is something that Thomas Massey brought up. Was it a potential diversion? Was it meant to sucker in more Capitol Police resources? You know, it doesn't matter what the real answer ends up being other than 
We are not being told the truth. So it's one more log on the fire that says we have a federal government that's lying to us and they are basically building. And here's what I think really was going on. I think that everybody that's been arrested for January 6th, with very few exceptions, were arrested on criminal complaints. And those criminal complaints are incredibly broad. They say all the things that happened on those days to include found explosives, which sounds really scary if you're reading them. And the judge who's the magistrate judge who has to sign off on the arrest warrant, they're seeing, oh, well, there were bombs involved. There was a riot. You know, now everybody knows it. But when they were first signing these things out, they were talking about how there was explosive devices. That ups the ante when you start putting in the weapons of mass destruction kind of thing. There were explosives that were indiscriminate weapons. That moves the needle at the beginning, at least, to start really going after these people more aggressively than would otherwise make sense for, like, let's say, a misdemeanor trespassing charge, which people got. Well, I want to get more into the timeline because I never really thought of it like a plan B. But now that you say that, I could actually see this because I have a pretty good idea of, of the timeline of how this all worked out. And in, including not just the entrapment of the people that were there at the Capitol when the breach happened, when Ray Epps is standing there and others. But, I mean, there could be a theory here that they were trying to entrap us as well. But I'll get that on the other side of the break with Kyle Serafin in studio, FBI whistleblower. Don't go anywhere. Share this broadcast with friends and family. And we'll be right back. The second American revolution is happening now right in front of you. And you're tuned in to InfoWars because you're either looking for the truth or you're already a patriot. I'm asking you now to realize we are at the fulcrum, the crossroads in the fight for human destiny and human future. Please spread the word about the broadcast. Please buy great products at InfoWarsStore.com. And please pray for the transmission. Without you, we're going to fail. But if you simply take action and spread the word and pray for the broadcast and buy the products, you will continue to aid us together in our victory against these tyrants. But now is the time to make the decision. I know there's millions of forms of media out there and all this BS and the globalists hope you get lost in all of it. But notice the globalists, the New World Order, are coming after us because they realize we've got their number. Think about it. InfoWars is the tip of the spear. If you want to support the tip of the spear, that decision is up to you. Please support us now at InfoWars Store. Ladies and gentlemen, two years ago, I went to two separate high-end health clinics where I get my blood tested every few years and also get EKGs and things on my heart. And I noticed that at both the facilities, the hottest thing with, with top medical doctors was methylfolate. And they said, listen, we've tested your genes. I did it at two different places. T two expensive tests, not like, you know, 23andMe and all this. And they both came back. And, and showed where my genes are outstanding and where they're not. And a lot of Northern Europeans have two to three of the four genes operating with the mitochondria, the most basic part of the cell, broken. I have the first three broken, two completely, one halfway broken, and then, and then the third is fully operational. So I get something like 12% of the energy that goes into my cells comes out. And there's other parts of my cells that operate 100%, which is mutant level. So I'm like weak in other areas, like Superman and others. And that's how most people are. You're really strong in some things, weak in others. I didn't listen to them. And then about a year ago, I was back for another checkup and the nurse practitioner said, Alex, you're not taking methylfolate. You need to. She said, you can get our brand that's souped up with some B vitamins and things where you can get it anywhere, but you really need to get it. And I said, okay, give me a bottle. So much energy, because it's the foundational. It's not like a stimulant where you take it 
and then you're bouncing off the walls from that just because it gets your brain hopping. This is the foundational energy that makes all the other energy stronger. Now, you're supposed to take two or three of these tablets a day. I, I, I would kill people about it. I mean, literally, it makes me feel like, a, like I'm 15 again, just bouncing off the walls. Super, not even mean, but just aggressive. So I take maybe a half of one a day, okay? We went out, got the very best methylfolate, the very best B-complex that supercharges it, my dad did, Dr. Jones Naturals, now exclusively available at InfoWarsStore.com. Believe me, believe me, and, and a lot of black folks have the genes broken and Hispanics as well, but white people particularly, and, and, and Jews as well, anybody you know, with, 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 with European blood has big problems uh, when it comes to the folic acid going into the cells, and then your cells turn it into methylfolate. This is just what the mitochondria end up operating off of. So you give them the direct methylfolate with the B, and it's boom, baby, boom. So the product is foundational energy, methylfolate and B-complex, and it's a big dose of it. It's at InfoWarsStore.com. It is high-end, and it funds the InfoWars. So it powers the InfoWar, and it powers you. Experience it. If it doesn't blow you away, it means you don't have this gene problem. But even people that have all the genes for this, still it, it gives you a lot of energy. But if you don't have it, it's like a new lease on life. Get it now at InfoWarsStore.com. If you are receiving this transmission, you are the resistance. The show that digs deeper than the rest. Welcome to the War Room with Owen Schroyer. So we're having a great conversation off here, but putting different thoughts are turning in my mind too, because you know the best the best plans of mice and men can go array. I mean, I was explaining, and we'll get into the timetable of this. I was explaining to Kyle how, I mean, even even our plans for that day basically kind of got thrown to the wind. And you don't even work for the government. <laughs> I hope I never work for the government. <laughs> I might be the government's bitch, but that's a different story. So we were basically delayed like an hour in in our uh, approach to the Capitol. And if we would have been on time, it felt like we were kind of being set up. It felt like the, the, the federal agencies were trying to set us up and lead us to the Capitol when the barricades were getting broken down. But because even, you know, even we're discombobulated and discoordinated so many times with our security and then somebody's got to go to the bathroom and then Alex wants to do this or I want to do this, but security says we need to do this. We were like an hour or so delayed from even going to the Capitol that day. So, I mean, even we were kind of discombobulated and, and thank God for it. Otherwise, we might have been walking up when Ray Epps and the others were right there when the when the barricades were going down. And so, you know, maybe the federal government kind of has a problem as far as their organization is concerned. But let, let's get into the timeline here. So... Two o'clock is when the certification is supposed to happen. Mm -hmm. Kamala is supposed to be there voting. This is the biggest day of her life, right? You'd think that she'd want to be there. What is she doing at the DNC unless there was some alternative agenda there with the bomb sitting outside, right? So maybe it's a it's a plan B to draw officers away from the Capitol because I was thinking, too, when we were there in November, which I think that one, legitimately the November march might have surprised people. I mean, we were stunned at how many people were in D.C. in November. I mean, hundreds of thousands. I mean, it was an incredible day. Um, but in with, with the Trump event, everybody knew there was going to be at least half a million people there. I mean, that was obvious. It was going to be a huge day. What's the big thing? It was pre-planned, right? There was plenty of advance notice. There were permitted events. That's a big difference than a spontaneous protest that happens out of nowhere. 
which by the way happened like every week or two in Washington D.C. That's standard. When you so we were stunned though because we were in front of the we were in front of the Supreme Court building and there was literally no security. Like there was just a barricade set up. And there were some people kind of grumbling, like, hey, let's let's take the Supreme Court building. Let's take the Supreme Court building. And I was just like, no, 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 don't do that. Don't go over the barricades. Don't go over the barricades. I mean, nobody really talks about that, but since you bring that up, I, I figured I would. Uh, but so anyway, so talk about, okay, is it a plan B? Is it meant to draw assets away from the Capitol in case they couldn't get people to breach? It could be any of them. So let's, let's rewind it just a little further back. You talk about plan versus unplanned. When you have planned events... That gets into the territory of what we call the NSSE, which I kind of told you a little bit about. Yeah, right? And, I, and I'm going to give it to you as straight as possible. NSSE, as my recollection, it stands for National Special Security Event. The FBI's Washington field office has a whole squad that deals with this. Like, that's all they do is national events. They plan for it. Now, imagine uh, anybody, if you have the Super Bowl come to your town, that's an NSSE. If you have the State of the Union, which happens every single year, it's an NSSE. Okay, and the way that it works is, is that by statute and by uh, policy... The Secret Service is the lead agency. Whenever you have like a bunch of things going on, a bunch of law enforcement, a bunch of government agencies, you need someone to take the lead. Secret Service has the lead for all NSEs. All you do is declare this is an NSSE, and then it's game on. Then we roll out a plan, and the plan equals unlimited overtime for the locals. They love it. It's good. So DC Metro PD, everybody can be on staff. You can sit on a bag and have your riot gear, or you can be in the riot, and not, you still get paid. So that's really good. The local SWAT teams that are going to come in and help, that's the same thing, response and so on. Every single asset gets put into play because this is a national special security event, and that's how we do it. So you've got FBI teams that are going to be in plain clothes. I've done this before. I was there for Trump's inauguration in plain clothes, walking around, looking for Antifa, and found them, and actually arrested an Antifa guy. So that happens all the time. Then we have what's called I-teams. These are investigative teams. These are two agents that are dressed like this, and they go out and they do the interview after the so-called like undercover or the you know covert surveillance guys are seeing the bad actors, people that are infringing on First Amendment liberties. We deploy some resources. Um, the Department of Energy is out there sweeping for dirty bombs and stuff. You've got the dive team from the FBI is out on boats. They're looking at all the bridges to make sure nobody does anything terroristy. So all of these things roll out. And you use them, and it ha it's not a big deal. You just go, okay, this is a special security event because this is a big deal, and we want to make sure all the assets are in play. We didn't see the National Guard, right? I know Cash Patel has talked about that quite a bit, and we didn't see an NSSE declared. I've never heard anyone say why. That's news to me. Now, we, we, we do now know that Trump did look for extra security that day. That's on record. It was, it was stood down Capitol Police. It was right. stood down National Guard. But this is another angle this I've never heard This is the normal of. protocol. This happens, like I said, happens multiple times a year. So it's not that 4th of July, big parades. You set up all your resources. If that was the case, and I was on leave on January 6th, I was up in Maryland doing a shooting course. But if I, if I wasn't, because it was an NSSE, I would have been sitting at the Park Police headquarters, what they call the Eagle Nest. I would have been sitting there next to the helicopter with my team, ready to task out on somebody who's bad who needs to be watched. That was my job at the time. We would have had six to eight armed agents that would deploy out and we'd follow bad guys or you know potential terrorists or whatever. That was our gig. We didn't get deployed on that. I was able to take leave. Usually it's like a leave is canceled thing. Anybody who's been in the military knows what those, you know, sort of everybody is uh, on call. And, and that didn't happen. And why that didn't happen is still beyond me. Like I said, I've never heard it answered properly. This should have been something that the Secret Service declared, and they did not. Well, okay. leaves all these open questions. That also tells you why you had so little resources. So the, the plan B, which we're, we're getting to, you have a plan B option where you've already got low resources because you haven't got everybody on standby. Now you got it. Let's say you got a bomb. Well, what's the priority? of uh, people who are protesting outside of a place where there's permitted stuff and a bomb. Or you go two to the, bombs. You go to the bombs, right? You got to set up minimum safe distances. You got to set up probably a 300-foot 
possible blast radius where everybody can be safe. You evacuate all the areas. You got to go door to door and make sure nobody's near a window. You got to bring in a bomb squad. Like that's a lot of resources. People are stopping traffic in every area. So if you do a plan B that draws a bunch of people away, what does it leave? It leaves your other place you know, vulnerable. So the concept of a plan B that if they don't get rowdy here at the Capitol, which is I, I, we're speculating 100 percent. But if you don't get rowdy at the Capitol and we want to give people a reason that they can think that they can do it. You talked about the Supreme Court having open doors. They had one set of barricades and nobody was there. Nobody. It Did was you, stunning. I was standing and, there like, and you wow. Think, you think you could have got up to the doors? Oh, easily. People were people were suggesting we do it, and I remember I remember it. It was a it was a beautiful day in November. Nobody was expecting the event to get that big, and it ended up being huge. And we're standing there at the Supreme Court. I mean, we're basically getting smashed into these barriers. And I think some people were just like, "We need room to breathe. Like, let's just move the barriers so we can expand. We can't breathe here." And Alex was like, "No, no, don't get rid of the barriers. We can't go over the barriers." And I remember it like it was yesterday. I can hear that. But, but here's the crazier thing: because the permits, because because Alex and some other individuals work together to get permits to have speaking events that day. Right. So we had a permanent event on, I don't remember what side of the Capitol, we'll just say, let's just say northeast side of the Capitol, whatever it was. We had a permit and a stage set up. And part of the part of the conversation leading up to that was, is it going to be worth it? Because these are expensive things. I mean, to get these permits and get these stages set up, it's very expensive. So part of the, part of the, the debate was, well, is it going to be worth it? Are there going to be people there that day? And it was pretty much determined immediately like oh no this is going to be a big event there's going to be hundreds of thousands of people there it'll be worth it to get this stage set up and have these speakers so it was like okay green light it yep. so it wasn't like they didn't expect that especially once trump announced that he was going to have his speaking event but you know what i just had another thing come to mind and i haven't heard anybody talk about this yet it just shows that the whole pipe bomb thing was clearly a false flag who puts a pipe bomb in visibility under a park bench. Nobody. It doesn't even make sense. Oh, look, we got it up on the screen over here where you can kind of see what it is. But like, well, it, it literally, it, it's like somebody went to the FBI training headquarters and just pulled it right out of there. It looks like every training bomb that's ever been put out there. Have you seen those before? Not with the FBI. I saw them when I was in the military. Like, okay. like so, but you have but, seen them. But the idea of having a, a dummy IED improvised explosive device, like they're everywhere. Anytime you do explosives training, it's like, this is the most basic rudimentary level. What do you need? You need a casing that also has some fragmentation capabilities. You need an explosive thing. You need an initiator, whether it's electric or non-electric. So that's a fuse or it's going to be a, you know, a battery that hits a, a blasting cap or something to start it. And then you need some way to initiate it either remotely or you're going to, you know, trigger it by hand. You'd still but, have to be in, in in the area to do that. I mean, it's not like it's going to have a large So So command wire is one way you can do it. So you actually push a button or whatever. You you initiate a charge. Then you can do it remotely with cell phones and stuff like that. The people who are overseas saw this all the time. And then the, the other possibility is, is that you have it on a timer. Now, timer is the least precise way of doing it. It's also the easiest thing to set up is like, a, here's how it could look. And do those egg timers have uh, 24 hours no, of uh, no, capability? No, okay, I'm just making sure. I didn't think so. <laughs> But the way it was described to us, because the first thing that happened, because my team, my, my surveillance team was put on this case. And, and when I say that, I mean, we weren't doing the, the ground investigative work. We were doing the out in the field, running down the leads and following someone that was a person of interest at the time, of which I've never heard anything about it again. But consider the person of interest. The first thing you want to know, if you are a surveillance agent, you're armed, you're going after a potential bomber, what do you want to know? Were the bombs real? Were they operational? And the answer we got back was no. The answer we got back was that they were inert. In fact, as, as my recollection, which I tweeted out today, looked very bomb-like, you know? Well, they want the training materials to look... To look very bomb-like, yeah. but they don't have to be real. Right. 
So whether it was a training or it was a dummy bomb or somebody just saw it, because like anybody could make this. I mean, whether it's FBI or not is irrelevant. Um, the, the information, that I, and I can't remember who told me this now, because some of this stuff kind of, you know, you don't know what's important at the time. This is going back, what, now three years. Uh, but I recall having conversations where someone said uh, they even traced like DHS training materials, specifically like the explosive residue was DHS related or came off a DHS contract. Now I can't f figure out who it was. I've asked a couple of people, hey, did you tell me that? And they're like, I don't remember. <laughs> like, I don't think so. But it doesn't make a difference because if it's a dummy bomb and they knew that right away, why did the FBI go out and say that these were viable devices? And I think that actually, and I, I just talked about this in, uh, in, on DC radio. Uh, the question is this, viability. What does that mean to the FBI? You know, I had somebody tweeted at me. They said, I have a minivan. And if it had six ounces of gas, it's a viable way to get to the airport. But if the airport's an hour away, you're not getting there. So having a black cat or a small amount of explosive device from like a firework, that makes it viable, but does it make it lethal or even potentially lethal? No. So are they, are they playing with words, which they always do? That's the, that's the classic, you know, senior executive of the FBI does that. And it's not just the FBI, plenty of government people do it. But are they just making this up? Like they said viable when they knew it wasn't actually like an actual explosive. And we were told they weren't real right up front. That's something that we heard. Interestingly enough, the guy who was in charge, Steve D'Antuano, who we've referenced before, he was interviewed by uh, Thomas Massey. He was deposed under oath. And there's something really interesting. And, and your, your guys had it up on the uh, screen a minute ago. And I kind of saw it. One of the little things that I pulled out of that was a small interchange where he brought up my name, which is bizarre. I didn't know that I was discussed. I didn't know that Tom Massey knew what I was up to, but he did. And he said, have you seen what Kyle Serafin's reported that these were inert? And he was like, oh, he's like, yeah, I've seen what Mr. Serafin had to say. And you. Why he didn't want to confirm or deny the no he said he said no I, he said what i'm going to go on is what the fbi bomb lab said uh, down at quantico the laboratory division here's something really interesting How, and then he goes on and like almost all of the stuff he says he basically uh you know this is my pinned tweet up there so there's like a couple of pages of stuff that showed my expertise or whatever you know minimal expertise in, in bombs because i do have training in that, like actual training i've actually blown stuff up i've actually made bombs out of c4 and dynamite and things like this He's out there and he, and he basically calls me out and he was like, I don't know if Kyle Serafin knows anything about bomb making, but uh, I got to go on what the lab division says. Like, number one, yes, I do a little bit, you know, probably more than he does. And uh, number two, why do you know what Kyle Serafin is saying in the media and you don't know what your own agents are doing in your damn building? Is that not bizarre? It's the weirdest thing I've ever heard. Someone pointed it out to like, me. It's just like it was a prepared legal statement. Well, why on earth is he keeping track of what I'm out there doing instead of what his agents are doing when they haven't found a bomber who supposedly left a bomb in the nation's capital? And it was a, a very, very imprecise device. It's the least precise of all of those. It wasn't command wire. And it wasn't, you know, uh, initiated right then. And it wasn't done with, it was done with a timer, which means fire and forget. And God knows what's going to be there. Is it going to be a bunch of kids? Is it going to be the vice president? Could it be anyone in between? Could it be no one? Could it be a building or a car? Like, you know, bus full of nuns? All so these things are but, possible. But, but that's why it brings into the equation, the actual timing of it, that it would appear that they wanted it, or they wanted us to believe at least it was supposed to go off at two o'clock, which was when the certification process was going. Imagine on. how light your thinking would have to be to look at that, though, which also feels very government-like. It's and, like first and it's, order thinking only. And it's literally impossible if you sit it there seventeen hours before and you're on an egg timer that has what a two-hour max right countdown. So it's it's not even possible. No, it's not feasible. Which means it would have had to been dropped after the secret security sweeps, which also is not would not the case. Well, we don't know when that one was really dropped. There's no footage of it well, being put in place. True. Even though we know there's a camera right there recording, so we could, they just won't give us the footage, I guess. Well, the footage was, the, the camera's not actually pointing at that bench. It was actually pointing at the, uh, at the driveway, or if you will, or the entryway to the, to the underground parking garage. 
So we don't actually have camera footage of that particular little park bench for days beforehand. And uh, my buddy Steve Baker said he went back and he went back five, six days and nobody had moved the camera. It had been pointed right at where those cars were, where the guys were eating the sandwiches, which you just showed earlier. That had been unmoved for several days. And then suddenly, for the first time, after they start doing this investigation where they slowly get out after the sandwich eating. Yeah, five minutes after the, it's called. Yeah. That's when it starts moving for the first time in days. Now. Who knows? I, I have a hard time believing that there is not another camera angle that has that bench in it. We're talking about D.C., the most surveilled area probably in the United States, and outside of the DNC. I mean, I, that's my opinion. Do, do you think that there's any other footage out there, potentially? There may be, and I'm not at liberty to discuss whether or not it's coming forward or not, but uh, people should be hold on, people should hold on to their hats for the next couple of days. Fair enough. <laughs> well, I've always figured, too, um, you know, being in the position I'm in as a journalist, people will sometimes tell me what to expect or what's coming, and sometimes I'll, I'll tip off my audience a little bit. I, I did not have that knowledge. That was an assumption. Uh, I think a pretty safe one to make. Yeah. But what's incredible, okay, so considering that, now we get into some of the the – facts that the Democrats are trying to hide the evidence. Okay, so the Democrats delete uh, 100 whatever files off of this uh, January 6th committee, 100 files of evidence. I guess it was 117 to be exact. And then the Republicans, after they take over, are able to save it with some with some data people. And then they find out it's encrypted, but Benny Thompson won't turn over the Passwords. Now, as a general observation here, which I, I think should raise the ire of every American, it's the Democrats, it's the January 6th committee, and it's their friends in the media that have been obsessed with January 6th and, and, and the narratives that they're trying to bring to the fore with January 6th. Why are they the ones erasing evidence, and why are they the ones not talking about the pipe bomber? You don't have to respond to that, but, but talk about this deletion of evidence that the January 6th committee has been caught. Well, it's really straightforward, right? Didn't Nancy Pelosi kind of let that slip? She said, we're, we got to keep the January 6th narrative alive. She used the word narrative, not the truth. Not we've got to find out what happened. They've got, a, they've got a particular sort of brand of story that they've sold. And if you're deleting information, like I, I, I struggle with the idea that anybody does that in an honest way. Well, I mean, if you're working in a courtroom and that happens, your case is blown. You're getting right. held in contempt and now you got other charges you're looking at. Yeah, so you could go from being the investigator to being the investigatee to being investigated for doing that sort of game. You can't go screwing around with information. And and this is the thing that's been so troubling, I guess. This is the narrative that is that should be pushed by honest people, political left or right. I actually don't care about any of that if, if we get right down to it. Bill Shipley, who's, uh, who's been defending J6ers and doing his thing, and I like Bill, and he's fair, and he said something that I think is the most honest statement about all this. The government should be agnostic about the outcome of court cases. That's not a win for the government. Whether, you, whether, whether you're convicted or you're acquitted is completely irrelevant to the government agent and the government prosecutors. Do you oh, mind? oh, believe me. Believe I, me. We know it's not. I, I found out the hard way that justice is the last thing that happens uh, when you're dealing with the Justice Department. Of course. But, and, and, and how sad is that, by the way? That's like the saddest thing. That it's I it's a out. very lonesome feeling on that being on that side of the courtroom, let me tell you. But if the government's doing their job properly... If the system works the way that we like to believe that it would, idealistically, though it may be, it's supposed to be agnostic. And your job as an investigator is to uncover the closest thing you can to the truth. You probably are never going to get to the whole truth, but you want to get as much of it as you can. Whether that is incriminating or exculpatory is irrelevant. You find the information and then the facts land where they may. And then the prosecutor presents the case to the best of their ability. 
and the defense does the same to obfuscate or whatever else. And then a jury of your peers, people who are supposed to actually be your peers, are supposed to listen to it. And then they decide you met the burden under the standard pattern jury instructions or not. And based on that, we're going to go forward and give you our verdict. That's how our system is designed to work. It, it basically comes from people who are in, in good conscience and of good heart are going to try to play their role as we just described. None of those things are happening right now. You've got a jury close. where people are actually like fighting to get on so they can be on the jury, right? We've got uh, prosecutors who are trying to get wins. They're trying to notch W's. That's ridiculous. You've got agents that don't know, don't remember, or are not actually looking at all the information and they're letting things go in a very half-ass, you know, half-ass and lazy way. Well, let me ask you None this quickly. Okay. Let me ask you this quickly. Is there an incentive either directly at the FBI or that you've heard of in any of these bureaucracies? Let's say, let's say you do the bidding of the party that's in control. Let's say you do the bidding of the Democrats. Is that a way to climb the ladder? It's, it's nothing so explicit as that. And I've never made any more money by either making or not making a case. You know, like there's just not that. Like nobody cares. If you do a good job, if you do something over and above, maybe you get a bonus or something like that. But generally speaking, no. But everybody who's ever worked in law enforcement knows if you build a big case and the big case gets a lot of notoriety and your boss gets a lot of attaboys for it, then you might have somebody who's willing to help you get to the next level if you want that. The problem is the best case agents in the FBI have no interest in management. None of them. Like the culture is the opposite of that. They despise management. <laughs> like that's the funniest thing about this is it's almost like the same thing in the military where the enlisted people kind of look at the officers a little bit kind of askance and they're like, nah, you're officers, you don't work for a living. Case agents look at management and go, I'm a case agent. I want to do investigations. That's why I came here. I don't know what it is you're doing. You don't even need a gun anymore. You're not even doing that job. Yeah, you forgot the weight of a loaded gun. Correct. Yeah, well, that's a, you know, that's a good joke about it. Like yeah. Most of them don't carry a gun to begin with, so let's be real. They, they actually started off not carrying a gun, so they never even knew what it was. But a lot of this management types, they're not, they're not interested in the same kind of like investigative culture. And so, yeah, if, you're, if you want to climb, if you want to make, make a move, you got to build a big case. There are people that build cases in their first three years. They coast for 17 years after that until they retire. And they tell everybody about that big, four, it's like fish stories. Like, oh, yeah, well, I, you know, I worked that big case. They'll literally fly you around the FBI to brief your case you did 10 years ago. I had cases briefed to me multiple times by the same person in multiple different venues because that guy was on a speaking tour about a case he did 10 years ago. And you're like, who cares? But so is that do. some of the incentive we see with the uh, January 6th investigations? I think the, the scary thing about January 6th was that, and this comes from friends who were like in the command post at that time, on that day. They said, this is our 9-11. This is what we're going to build our careers on. So the management decided that the narrative was something that was co-aligned. It's almost never like a real good, like uh, cancer man style X-Files conspiracy where everybody gets in the room and they all smoke, you know, and they don't turn on the lights for some reason. They figure out what the nefarious plot is. It's almost always a it's bunch of cinematic. <laughs> it sounds good. I mean, it looks beautiful. Like we want to see it. Right. But in reality, I think more often than not, what it, what it is, is a bunch of people with co-aligned interests. It's like, I want to move up. That's what I need to move of. this political ball. It's a bunch of people that never conspired together, but they all had the same goals. The goal just sort of entangles and moves itself forward. Here's what we know they want us to get out of this, and it's not justice, in other words. Oh, that's definitely the case. I mean, yeah. does it look like justice? Here, here's, here's the simple oh, thing. I, I, I was in front of the White House a couple days right after, like the day after they burned St. John's Church. This is when they put Trump in the bunker and all that kind of stuff went down. Right. We, had a, uh, we had a senior executive resign over the treatment that was done because he was caught behind enemy lines, supposedly. And all of that was bad. And you didn't see people getting arrested. You didn't see geofence warrants getting dropped. You didn't see people getting run down you know, for misdemeanor trespassing who just happened to be on the lawn. That didn't happen. So when you see fundamentally different treatment of people, it looks like an agenda. That's what it looks like. Well, it's obvious. And, 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 and like I said, when you've been on the wrong side of that courtroom 
when you have that realization at a personal level, it, it hits home a lot differently. Not just the fact that justice was never even brought into the equation, but that, no, there's there was already a predetermined outcome of this case before you even stepped foot in this room. Yeah, you never had a chance. I, I don't think they have a chance. I, I mean, I look at all these J6 stuff, and like I said, even some people probably do belong going to jail for some of the stuff they did, but only if it was the same sort of thing. The other thing that nobody talks about, most of the stuff should have been brought in what's called the, uh, not the district court of D.C., it should have been brought in the Superior Court of D.C., which is where, like, all kind of trespassing and window breaking and, you know, punching somebody goes. You don't generally bring it into district court. Without standing on the steps. Yeah, generally that wouldn't even, you know. Standing on the steps? It's embarrassing. It's embarrassing on every level. Interesting. But that being said, I did bring you this. Uh, you yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so first of all, the suspendables, that's the team you're with, FBI whistleblowers, great people. You've got a website. I imagine there's maybe some other FBI whistleblowers that might want to join you, but you brought me a gift. I brought you a gift. Uh, so we we gave you one last time, which was the the white pin. People, if you see me wearing that white S pin, that was that was a gift from you probably like three or so months ago. Yeah, just before you went in. Right, yeah. So now we got the dark mode version. So what this, we is realized, the, this is the elite level. Yeah, so what I've we I've now reached an elite level. We, we, we allowed people to buy the white ones as a show of solidarity with what we were doing, and so that's really cool. And a lot of people have gone out and bought them, and they're wearing them on their lapels. It's a great conversation starter. I mean, people are like, your pin's upside down. You're like, no, that's how it's worn. Uh, the eagle is down, is what we say. So when I hand it to you. But anyway, the eagle is down. This is the, uh, you can only earn these. The blacks are, are not for sale. Those are, uh, those are meant to be worn by people who have who've done something. Well, thank of, God the no. blacks aren't for sale because that, we'd, have all kinds of, <laughs> we'd have all kinds of problems if that was Blacks are not for sale, no. Well, this is awesome. Every time I wear that pen, somebody sends me a message about how sharp it looks. This one is even sharper. But, but just talk like, about... It's like dark mode it's the or the subdued version, if you will. Uh, this is kind of a little bit uh, lower viz, but uh, it'll look good on some of your suits. And, and, and what's, the, uh, what's the website? Because you guys got great apparel there, too. So this is uh, supporting Garrett O'Boyle, who testified in front of Congress. Big guy, long hair, my very good friend. Uh, his name and the, and the website is the-suspendables.com. There's T-shirts there. There's merch there. There's there's patches, but the uh, the pins are kind of the biggest seller. People can pick up like a, a three pack of those and get free shipping on them. And it's support our FBI whistleblowers, ladies and gentlemen. There it is. It's great apparel. Here's my pin. It's it's a great honor. I'm going to be wearing this on air, and I, I really appreciate all of our great FBI whistleblowers, including my guest. Kyle Serafin. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that does it for the InfoWars War Room 21-hour break. We'll see you tomorrow. You stay classy, InfoWarriors. Uh, listen, I need your help. I mean, have we not delivered? It's it's like in Gladiator. When he first is a gladiator, he kills like four guys in 20 seconds. He says, are you not entertained? I, I mean, are, 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 are you not getting what you want? Because, I mean, I eat, drink, and sleep this. I'm up against the New World Order, and all I need is your support. All I need is your word of mouth, your prayer, your financial support, and I sell you stuff that's the highest rated, the best, because I treat you like I want to be treated. I believe in mojo, karma, reap what you sow, folks, and you need to go to InfoWarsStore.com. You need to make the decision to go to InfoWarsStore.com and get incredible products. We have the supercharged special right now, despite the fact that both these best-selling products are selling out. DNA Force Plus and Real Red Pill Plus are both selling out but despite that they're 50 percent off as a combo the supercharged special at infowarstore.com please go to infowarstore.com and while you're there it's about to sell out but it's okay we did a limited run now that it's going to sell out we can order a bigger bigger order out we're building back to be able to you know not just stay the same but expand in the enemy's face that's up to you though you have to make the decision to say has infowars delivered is InfoWars on the air seven days a week? Is Jones wild? Is he dedicated? Has he told us the truth? The answer is, I've died trying. I ain't perfect, man. 
<laughs> if I'm lying, I'm dying. I'm all about what is the most accurate? What is the most cutting edge? What is, who do I have all the people that predict the future that are accurate? You can get next level foundational energy. Next level foundational energy that supercharges your cells. Take an hour to explain it, but this takes folic acid and puts it into the pure form methyl folate that is the essence of your cells. And it's got the B complex to supercharge it. Next level foundational energy, InfoWarsStore.com. Please get a fundraiser copy of my book, signed or unsigned, The Great Awakening as well, at InfoWarsStore.com. The ball is in your court.